Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler, and we are here in the Condé Nast Podcast Studios. And I'm here with Sebastian Modak and Meg Reinhardt and Mara Balaktas, all of whom are editors for Traveler, and also Francisco Balaktas, who is Mara's brother and not an editor for Traveler. What do you do, Francisco? I work for a snowboard company, but I'm also an avid runner. Ah, which we're going to get to that more later, right? Which uh, snowboard company is it? That is uh, Burton Snowboards. All right. I am familiar. Yes. I think we're all familiar. (laughs) Most people are. Yeah. (laughs) It might be the only snowboard company I know. Yeah. I'm not sure I could name another one. Yeah. That's good. You don't have to. No, don't don't give them props. That's good, yeah. Give them all the love. Mm -hmm. Today we're going to talk about traveling for our obsessions. So... One of the ways we can get into this is kind of, I thought each of you guys is here because each of you travel for a very personal, specific reason. So I thought it'd be great if we could start with you, Seb, maybe, and talk about what is the, I don't know if even obsession is the right word for the kind of travel that you do that fits into this vein, but what is the niche that you um, have been traveling in? Yeah, so I um, am a musician, a touring musician, sometimes less now than I used to be, but uh it's a totally kind of different form of travel for me and you know I've traveled extensively a lot for a lot of different reasons but touring is kind of its own game in a lot of ways um one you don't have much like choice in the matter about well, like so where how did when you, you're going how did you get into that when did you start playing so I mean I started playing music when I was you know 11 12 or something but it probably wasn't until after college that I started touring and at the beginning it's a lot of you know my own bands we'd be in a really shitty van driving across the country and crashing on people's floors and playing in front of like four people in some basement somewhere and then on to the next city. Um, but it was, especially at the beginning, it's just like, even when you're doing that and like eating at rest stops for two weeks straight, it's still like super exciting because as a kid being a musician, you're just like dreaming of that uh, growing up. And then I still do that occasionally with some projects, but then I've also like had the privilege of doing like bigger stuff where you know you're in a tour bus and you're you have to show up seven hours before the show to do sound checks and all of that, um, which is a, is a, its own thing because in those cases it was less passion project and more like I was a drummer for hire. But in both cases, it forces you to travel in a different way in that some places you don't see it all really because you're there you play the show you crash you wake up the next morning and you're on or you're driving overnight but it makes you like really want to see as much as possible in as little time as possible like so for example like last year two years ago i did a tour in europe and we were in cologne in germany i literally had 20 minutes off for the whole time i was in cologne for like like we were there for maybe 10 hours total and i had 20 How did, minutes what did off. that look like so, so like you guys, f- so we like what got in there in the morning after an overnight drive from somewhere else in Europe um, that you can't even remember now. I can't remember it. Sleeping on the tour bus, um, woke up in Cologne and right in front of this venue, loaded in, you know, did our sound check, which for this p- particular project can take like four hours. <laughs> um, and then it was like, okay, you guys have got like a 30 minute break and then you need to be back for this like Q and a session or something. Um, so I like got into a cab. I went to the Cologne Cathedral, 
which is amazing. Like walked around, walked into the Cologne Cathedral, like took some pictures, like walked around the Cologne Cathedral, got back in a cab and went to the venue again on the outskirts of Cologne. And that, <laughs> and that was, was it. it. And that's, that's, I've been to Cologne now and that's what I saw. How did you decide that that was what you were going to do with the time? It was like the one place I had heard of in the city for before, like the one landmark. And I was like, well, let's go. There's probably other stuff around there. So we just kind of like walked around for 20 minutes and we were back. But then there were other shows like Munich, which might've been the next day or something, two days later. Where I didn't see, I literally didn't see anything. Like it, a, a lot of it depends on the venue, where the venue is. In this case, it was kind of like in the outskirts, like industrial part of the city. I remember some of the other guys in the band would like, oh, we're in Germany, we're in Munich. Like, let's go get some like steins of beer and hang out. So like they went and did that. I actually had a traveler story to write, so I was. <laughs> I That's was right. A, we made you work while you yeah. were doing this, didn't we? Yep. So I was like in the green room, uh, writing a story, and like during our break. Um, and What's then, the food in the green room in that in that situation? So, well, in that situation, so that's another cool thing about touring, which I was going to get to, is that like you see a different side of places because um, a lot of the times you're just kind of dealing with the venue or the bookers or whatever, the the stagehands. You know, you meet these characters throughout, and it's really interesting to like compare and like see how things are different. Like one, bands are treated so much better in Europe than they are in really? the US. Um, mm. Even like even even if you're like in a ragged punk band, you're just treated so much better. Especially if you're coming from the U.S., they know you're coming a long way. They'll like cater. There'll be food out for you. There'll be, you know, a fridge in the green room full of beer. Brown M and M's. Only brown M and M's in the bowl. Uh, U.S. like I don't give a shit. Especially in like the bigger cities, they're just like you're just one. You're just you know the next person in line. All right, now leave by this time. Get your shit out of here because we have to go home and be ready for the next band um but like even just comparing like the way the sound guy in zurich is compared to like the one in madrid mm-hmm. you know it's like there's like very different personalities um and crowds the crowds the crowds yeah and that's that's another, that's another part of it um best crowd i've ever played in front of was in amsterdam really yeah what made them the best it was just the energy was just amazing and i think I was talking to a friend who lives there who it's another part of touring is amazing is that you're like, Hey, I'm in this city. Who do I know? Oh, I know this one person, like come to the show and you'll be on like, I don't have any other one else to put on my guest list. So come on and like hang out. So I had a friend there and she was telling me like the day we got to Amsterdam, it was like 70 degrees. Sun was shining. There wasn't like a cloud in the sky. And she was like, this is not normal in Amsterdam. I think the crowd was so insane is because everybody skipped work today and have just been like out in parks, like drinking all day. So everyone's like already like revved up and ready to go by the time the show happens. Um, See, I have the impression that's what people in Amsterdam do always all do. the time. <laughs> well, no, apparently, I guess most of the time it's pretty gray and dreary. Um, so like that, that's fun to see kind of the way different cities react. Um, and also just like your traveling companions, you're with them. 24 mm. hours yeah, a point. day uh, right. for like three weeks in very confined spaces. Yeah. There's a dude literally sleeping above you and one sleeping below you in a tiny coffin type bunk. Um, and like they're the only people you know for the whole trip. So you're like, who wants to get breakfast? Oh, Do you, you guys? buddy up? Did you find like there's these dudes there's, there's that we're like not going to hang out with? Yeah, and little like, clicks form? There's definitely clicks, little divisions that form throughout. Like um, the rhythm section hangs out. <laughs> and like you just have to also like, like the Cologne thing, even though I did go with a couple of them, it was like we got to the cathedral and just all went our separate ways. It was like, let's meet here in 30 minutes. And then it was just like, we need, like I need a moment. Because you're sick of each other. Because you're sick of each other. Yeah, yeah, it's like the family travel thing. We were yeah, totally. About. Um, 
but then they're also like your colleagues. It's like a you know, it's just like an interesting social dynamic. But yeah. it's uh, that's all to say like it's so unique and it's super fun to do, and I'm gonna keep doing it as long as I can. I'm going to Australia and New Zealand in February. Are you? <laughs> yes, boss. Okay, <laughs> great. We'll have some posts for you to do while you're in the green room. <laughs> what are the green rooms gonna be like in Australia? I think I've heard they treat you even better down there, especially if you're coming from as far away as the U.S. That is so. a long way to go. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to roll out the red carpet. Yeah. Meg, what's your obsession? Music, but the opposite side. Oh, dear. So I started... You followed Sebastian's band around? <laughs> <laughs> I was the band-aid knocking on his green room. No. <laughs> um, no, I've been following music since I was 13, 14 years old. Started my freshman year of high school, and it's just developed over time, my music tastes have changed, but the last couple of years I've been following lots of dead cover bands, Fish, I love bluegrass, so. That's Grateful Dead cover bands, right? Grateful Dead, Dead yes. cover bands, just sounds like <laughs> <laughs> right. Good edit. Thank you. Uh, Grateful Dead cover bands. Um, so I travel all over uh, to see music, find music, and it's usually a starting point for most of my travel. What was the first trip you ever took to see a band, or a musician, whichever? I mean, it was probably a two-hour road trip with a bunch of 16-year-olds when the first person got their license to through Pennsylvania. Bush and Sponge. Bush. Bush. <laughs> Mid-90s. We talked Sponge, about this at lunch remember. the other day. I think I remember Sponge. I think they sort of went, I feel like they went hand-in-hand. Hand. I had patches for both on my backpack when, when it was cool to do that. Okay. <laughs> it's a tour that rolls off the tongue, too, yeah. Bush and Sponge. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first one that you did. It was a couple hours away. You were in college at the time or high school? No, I was in high school. I was probably like 15 years old. And how many of you went? Uh, probably five of us squished into my friend's Grand Am. Did your parents know you were going to do that? No. Okay, great. So, uh, <laughs> so you weren't, were you gone overnight? No. Okay. No, and I probably slept over at a friend's house so they didn't know what time we got back. Mm, yeah. The old Good. trick. Very yeah. clever. I won't share this podcast with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. Yeah. I, I already did. <laughs> <laughs> They were at the concert, too. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and so when did it become apparent to you that this was a part of your life? Like, you were just going to do it? You were going to commit to it? Oh, I think by late high school and going to college, I picked a town that really had a lot of great music, which was Syracuse. Um, tons of great places to see music. We went out all the time. That was, you know, I didn't go to the bar to drink. I went to a music venue that had great music. And then if drinking was there or whatever we wanted to do to socialize, um, and it continued. I studied abroad in London, found lots of great venues. Um, and then after college, I just traveled. I went out in the West Coast a lot, went to a bunch of venues throughout California. Um, my brother moved around. He lives in Denver now. I'm out there all the time for bluegrass, different shows. Um, I lived in North Carolina. I've been to a ton of venues there and up and down the East Coast. So, And, and how much of what you've been doing is due to just really wanting to get out and travel and how much of it is like, are you looking for bands that you can travel for or are there bands that you're obsessed with and you're like, I just got to go hear them. I think it's bands that I'm obsessed with that I have to go hear. Um, one thing that I do every single year is I go to this tiny little bluegrass festival in Colorado. It's a week that I take off of work. There's no exceptions to this rule wherever I'm working at the time. Like when I negotiate that contract, it's like, I will not be here for this week. Um, it's this tiny little festival. It lasts for three days, but you can camp for a week, and it's my family. Like Going out to this festival means the world to me. Um, just surrounded by amazing musicians, amazing people. We play music until 4 a.m. in the campsites, um, camp along some red rocks and a river. Can't go wrong. Do you I've... see the same people year after year? No. It's yeah. a rotating festival. So Some of the musicians come in, and it's the same people, but... A lot of people change. It just depends on who's going to be there this year. There's a band competition 
every year, and the winner of that opens up the festival the following year. Huh. So that's really cool. You get to see some amateur acts, and yeah. they're all amazing. I don't know how you consider them amateur, but yeah. I had two questions. One you kind of just answered, but the other one is um, so th- a big difference between like my travel for music and your mm-hmm. travel for music is that I'm getting paid and you're paying. Yeah. So like, <laughs> do you do you like budget? Do you like put money aside every? Are you like okay? So I know that fish is gonna fish is gonna go on tour, or that they're gonna have this thing this year. I want to go to this many shows, so I need to put this much aside. Yeah, I do. I that's a huge part of my life is budgeting to see music, Um, plane tickets. I save a lot of my points, and I use my air miles to go see music. So then I don't feel as guilty about it. I do a ton of camping. Mm. So that saves on costs. And I have a it's lot of fun. Yeah. We also like the 14 year old lifestyle. I still crash at a lot of people's houses. Like nice. luckily mm. through seeing music, I have so many friends around the country. And just like, can I crash there? And since I live close to New York City, I share that when all my friends when come up here. Come. So when Fish had Baker's Dozen here this summer, there were people sleeping all We had inflatable mattresses in my living room and the guest room was full. People were everywhere. And it's fantastic. So, and so that's actually goes to my next question is, is part of the reason you do this? Like, I know there's the music, obviously, that you love to see, but is part of it the community? I mean, because you go to like the original travel for music thing. I feel like those are probably like the, oh. dead, the deadheads, the, well, right? The yeah. Yeah. Like dead, own, yeah, at the beginning. Community. And then Fish basically it's is absolutely a the community. I mean, yeah. some of my the closest people in my life are through music and those friendships just last. And I mean, you have that commonality, but like you're also comfortable with one another. And there's something about like when everything happened in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago with that shooting, it was devastating to me. I think it was the tragedy in the US recently that has hit me the closest to home because music is my safety. Yeah. Like that's the place I feel safest. I'm so comfortable. And when that happened, yeah. I was just broken. Like, yeah. wait, you took away my one space where I could go and be with my friends and just feel completely at peace and happy. and. Yeah. It's sort of, they took that from me. So I felt a little robbed. Yeah. Have you ever gone to a place to hear a show and then sort of fallen in love with the place or, or, or decided like, this is a place that I don't really have time to explore right now because, you know, I, I'm, I'm on this different track, but I want to come back here. And then you've gone back to visit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, what? California and Colorado have both done that for me. And Colorado sort of fast tracked me in trying to move there because I loved it so much. And I was flying back and forth so much between seeing family and music. That I was like, I should just live there and fly to the East Coast every once in a while. Um, but yeah, I've done a lot of exploring in Colorado through music and getting to know the area. So it's a way for you to discover new new places Absolutely. as well as people. And yeah. And I expand trips. I don't like fly in for a show and leave. I fly in and I do other things around the music for sure. Cool. Francisco, what's your obsession? My obsession is running, races specifically. Yeah. Anywhere from the smaller races to as big as the marathon. And how long have you been doing that? Well, uh, I ran a little bit in high school, took a nice 10-year layoff, (laughs) pursued other things, but I just started again about five years ago. Uh And um, it was something that I kind of got into by accident. I wasn't really looking to run. I actually, my older brother had asked me if I uh, wanted to run the New Jersey Marathon. This he's was, on the next podcast. <laughs> yeah, everyone's coming in. He's coming in. So it was, it, was, it was like 2012, January. I was living in Vermont at the time, and he says, oh, do you want to run a marathon? And my initial reaction is like, no, hung up the phone. Absolutely this not. is January in Vermont. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like an awful so idea. I, yeah, so I said no, and we didn't talk about it. Two weeks later, I was kind of like sitting there thinking about it. I'm like, you know, maybe I should do something challenging. 
something I'm just not accustomed to. And I said, okay, I'll do it with you. And then we went and did it and I ended up loving it. Mm. And where was it? Was it in Vermont or did you it was in It was in New Jersey. So I was running and training in Vermont. Didn't know what I was doing. Just following a plan I found on the internet. And running in Vermont gets kind of lonely. Yeah. Especially when you could run about couple hours and not see one car any people um big change from running down here in new york city so and after that i caught the marathon running bug and i've been running consistently more and more and then just more and more ever since and expanded my realm of going to different states and other locations specifically just to run how do you decide which races you're gonna travel for and which ones you're going to pass on? Well, as far as the marathons go, there's there's six big races in the world. Three of them happen to be in the U.S., so they're um, easily um, reachable for us. Which but ones are those? That's uh, New York City, mm-hmm. which is okay. actually happening this, 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 weekend. this, this Sunday. Weekend, right? this Sunday. Are you so running it? I am running it. Okay. Bib number 635, if you want to keep, <laughs> keep an eye. That's keep a low bib eye. number. <laughs> Yes, it's and a big um, deal. I'll, yeah, I, it's the first <laughs> time I'm actually starting in the local competitive corral. Okay, um, I don't I've, fully know what that means, but congratulations! <laughs> it, it it took a while to get there. Yeah. Bas- basically, you have to run. You know, like um, I ran a two fifty marathon in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and that kind of got That's me. That's the qualifying time, kind of. It's kind of like the the standard for like that field. Mm-hmm. You get to start like right at the very front. Right behind, you know, the elite men and women, and gets a couple little extra perks at the beginning, like a heated tent and stuff mm. like that to warm up on. But um, first class airfare. Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, um, I <laughs> now the funny thing is, I think they have um like a select bus for us to take there. But ever since I started running the New York City Marathon, I would always take the Staten Island ferry, regardless of if I was starting in the way back or now I'm starting the way front. Something about riding the ferry like 5.45 in the morning with everyone else watching the sunrise. That's like quintessential New York City marathon experience. Mm, And I don't care if I'm ever like the elite guy in the front. I will ride the ferry with the people, get on the bus, take the whole experience. I love that. That's that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I won't, I won't change. Totally. Yeah. Um, And so, and so what's the, what's the, what are the other big ones in the U S is Chicago one of those? Chicago's one. And uh, Boston, Boston is the other sure. one. Sure. Okay. Which, um, which I'll be running next year because I qualified for it two years ago. So the waiting list is that long. Well, the schedule for um, the cutoff to submit a time. Say, if you want to run in 2018, you have to submit a marathon qualifying time before September 10th of 2017. Okay. So anything after that calendar year has to go towards next year. So. Got it. Um, but so, yeah, it's, it's hard to get into because so, so when, when you travel to run, are you like going, like, let's say the Chicago one, did you like fly in the night before run and then fly out? Or are you like, um, oh, let, let me like check out Chicago while I'm here and like maybe do a couple of jogs in the days before. Or? I I usually like to get there early and kind of acclimate myself to just you know, the cityscape, the vibe of the people and climate too, I guess. Yeah. And Chicago is one of those funny places where in October it can be really warm or it can be really cold. And, you know, if you look at the course, the history from the last five years, they've had super warm temperatures or super cold temperatures. So I usually like to get there just so I can be in the frame of mind of being in the city. And 
I have some friends that I've met over the years because I've um, gone there so frequently. This was my third Chicago marathon. And I just, I like the city. I like getting in touch with the people and just feeling like it's, I get to be like a local for, you know, five, five days. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'll definitely like check things out. And then I will usually hang out a couple days after. So I'm not just, you know, jumping on the plane right after the race. I like, I go to the after parties. Yeah. How do you, how do you reward yourself after a race like that? Um, me personally, I like to maybe, you know, have a couple of drinks mm-hmm. and then eat, have a couple more drinks. <laughs> <laughs> And then go out to the main after party, have a couple more drinks. Do, do there. marathoners party pretty hard? Marathoners do party. Yeah. And if I, if any of my friends hear this, they will just be like, "Yep, hands up." <laughs> yeah. Guilty as charged. Yeah. What's the farthest that you've ever gone for a race? All the way to the west coast. West uh, coast of the U.S. Yeah, uh, Oregon. Uh, not necessarily for a marathon, but there was something I did um, race-wise. It's a it was a race called Hood to Coast. It's a team-based race, and basically, it's a a 200-mile race from the from Mount Hood wow, all the way down to the Oregon coast. Is that and a it's, Ragnar? It's similar to Ragnar. Um, same kind of setup. Um, you know, uh, eight to twelve-person teams, two vans, and everyone runs about you know six, seven miles at a time, and then there's transfer points for the next runner. It's like a relay, and it mm. and it goes nonstop until you complete you know, at the destination. Wow. What but, about elevation? Have you ever traveled and raced in an elevation? I have. I've, I recently did a trail race in Vermont. First trail race, um, an ultra distance technically. So anything over 26 miles is considered an ultra. It was a uh, 50K and uh, it went up and down over Killington Mountain. It was about 10,000 wow. feet of elevation gain. So yeah. did you go early to adjust to the elevation before you ran that race? How did you handle that? Um, no, like, I'm going to pass out any second. Um, <laughs> no, we actually, uh, I was with a group and we got there really late, about 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. And the race was at seven o'clock the next morning. Oh my goodness. And I just rolled out and just, let's just go. gutted it out. Let's go. And I had never run on a trail before up until that racing was. Have you ever entered a race because you wanted to visit the place in which it was taking place? Um, yes, Chicago was the first time I did that. I really wanted to go to Chicago. I, I had heard like a lot of good things about it. And then, you know, I saw there was some, a marathon being run there and I was like, okay, well I'm kind of into running now. Might as well kill two birds with one stone and I'll go there. And then the same thing with Oregon too. It's like, I really want to go out there. And there was a lot of other landmark running things that hap- happens out in Oregon that I wanted to do. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this race. I'm going to go to Eugene, Oregon, mm-hmm. visit, uh, Pree's trail, which is, uh, named after Steve Prefontaine, yeah. who's, you know, put American distance running on the map. And I wanted to do that and see U of O and everything. And do you see, uh, similar to these guys, do you see the same people? Are there runners that you bump into place after place after place racing? Yeah, absolutely. Once you start getting into, um, how it happens is every time you go into a new city, there's always a, a local run crew that happens to uh, either host a what we call shakeout runs, which is usually just an easy like three or four mile run the day before the marathon. And that kind of serves as like the meeting point for mm. anybody who's coming into town yeah. to visit. And 
people just start to like, reintroduce themselves, familiar faces like, oh, I saw you in Copenhagen earlier. I saw you in London earlier in the year. Oh, we were at Boston, uh, we were at LA, and now we're in Chicago. And it's going to happen again in New York City. Saturday is the shakeout run day. There's going to be a big convergence, and we're all just kind of going to do it again. And then you start seeing the same people over and over. You make friends. And then pretty soon you have a place to stay in London, you have a place to stay in Berlin, in Denmark. And then the com- you start realizing the run community becomes very, very small, mm. especially on a global level. What's, so. what's your like bucket list run? What's Buc- the one that you haven't done that you really want to do? Bucket list run? Tokyo. Oh. Mm. It's super hard to get into. Yeah. And um, along the lines of um, the six big marathons, it's... So you have Chicago, New York, uh, Boston here, and then it's London, another difficult race to get into, Berlin, and then Tokyo. Mm-hmm. So, good. and do you do you guys follow each other when you're not racing? And sort of like, what's the what's the balance between being kind of friendly and being competitive with each other? Do you guys kind of keep track and, and get a little competition going with each other? Oh, totally. Um, I guess the best way every, everyone keeps track of each other is on Instagram. Yeah, And sure. you know where everyone, <laughs> what everyone's doing, everyone's racing. and it's posting their times and stuff. Yeah, and I kind of, actually for Chicago, I kind of took my inspiration for my goal time because I saw someone else run something, mm. and I was like, you know, I train with that person <laughs> and, I, and I, I know I'm much faster and I beat them on the regular. So I was like, nice. okay, I have to, I have to like, I have to switch my plans around. And then I actually did that in Chicago and then hit my goal time. And I actually saw the person in Chicago and I pulled them to the side. I was like, Hey, listen, like I, the only reason I ran this time is because I saw you put something and I had to try to do it. You were my inspirational. Poster. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it was actually a female. And so how did she react? She was like, oh, my God, thank you. Like, I didn't realize. And I was like, keep doing what you're doing. She's like, I'm going to kick your ass next time. (laughs) Uh, She's she's pretty fast. And and I'll send her this, and she'll know that I was talking about her. (laughs) Okay. Mara, what's your obsession? My obsession is anything automotive, motorsports related. Which includes, what are some examples? Car races, motorcycle motorcycle races rally cross anything that's like on a track pavement or in the dirt how did you get into that um i mean i grew up with three brothers so (laughs) one of them (laughs) we're gonna have to have more podcasts more podcasts (laughs) with all my brothers on them three Um, three more three more three more (laughs) but so i mean i grew up around cars and speed and talking about horsepower and like playing gran turismo as Mm. a kid and you know, I feel like when you play these video games, like as a child, you're kind of transported to all these different places and these different racetracks and you kind of see their environments. And luckily in my adult life, working at Traveler, I've been able to cover a lot of, you know, motorsports events for us. And, you know, that has kind of like fueled Fueled oh, my passion. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, she realized it right after she said it. <laughs> I was like, puns, oh, what? Pause, pause for <laughs> emphasis. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my travel schedule. And, you know, I've gone to a bunch of Formula One races and explored those cities that I've been to. And Which ones have you been to? I've been to the Montreal GP and the U.S. Grand Prix in um, Austin. So now, 
wait, I, I've, this came up at some point, I think when we were doing a piece on mm-hmm. uh, one of the one of the big races. What is the difference between Grand Prix and Formula One? So, right, because they're not quite the same thing, right? Or there's some. um, The Grand Prix's are the races within the Formula One calendar. So also, like with MotoGP, Mm -hmm. they have Grand Prix's as well. So they're just the different races within their calendar. Okay, and how is what what is the definition for um, for Formula One? What type of car? How does that that sort of how do you qualify to enter Formula One? So Formula One, um, you know, they have a certain amount of drivers and it's pretty much like how they find a new Pope. The Pope has to die for like a new driver to come in, unfortunately. So there's so, a <laughs> set number of drivers that yes, can be in the Formula One exactly. circuit? Yes. So and unfortunately, um, a few years ago, there was a Formula One driver who passed away on, at a race. And that's why someone else from you know a lower series had got bumped up into the formula ones like the most elite open wheel racing series so they had come in because that person passed away so it's a little who decides i mean the teams decide who they want to bring up and you know like the the sanctioning body over formula one you know it's it's like two drivers per team is that yeah exactly I, i know that in italian they're called pilots are they called pilots anywhere else or is that like we call them drivers but I always thought the the designation pilot was kind of interesting mm-hmm. with Formula One because that is kind of what they do. I mean, between those two names, I feel like that's more of a European European thing. Yeah, to call pilot. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, what was the first time you actually traveled to go see a race? Probably the Montreal GP, which was a few years ago. That was kind. Of, that was my first Formula One race, and the first time I traveled to another country to see a race. Mm-hmm. And I had been to some other races just within the U.S. before that, but seeing Montreal, a city like that, on Formula One race weekend, is so much fun. There are, are they like the courses are like built into the city? Sometimes is that the case in Montreal, or is it like a sometimes depending on the city they um, take part of public roads like in monaco mm-hmm. right. they that's mainly a road course but in montreal they actually have a track okay so if you go anywhere around the world actually you will find a racetrack within an hour of you i mean even being in new york city manhattan there's four or five racetracks that are you know within an hour two hours driving distance from us really Which, yes where are they Lime Rock Park in Connecticut. Um, there's a private track, Monticello, in upstate New York. There is New Jersey Motorsports Park. Um, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. There's in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Pocono Raceway, mm-hmm. and you know there have been legends that have driven all of these tracks. You know Paul Newman. He lived in Westport, Connecticut. Lime Rock was his home track. He was, was he like, a serious driver? Serious driver. Really, like yes. he had cred. Yeah, mm-hmm. he and at, at the beginning he didn't, and he kind of learned to drive from doing movies and acting, and he really got into it. He was very competitive. He went on to win a lot of races, and you know, all these tracks they're kind of no one really thinks about when they're traveling. There, there's so many. I mean, I even went to Aruba over the summer. <laughs> they have a racetrack. <laughs> but is that why you went to Aruba? It wasn't why I went to Aruba, but, but I got there go and, to I the was, and I was <laughs> right. And I mean, how the 
Aruba as an island is what, like 19 miles long? And they have racetrack, yeah. of course. You my know? favorite, one of my favorite festivals ever was at a racetrack. It was at Watkins Glen, Magna Ball Watkins in 2015. Watkins Glen is a beautiful racetrack. It's also historic. And we got Where's to camp that? on the racetrack, Watkins Glen, New York. Yep. Oh, Magna okay. Ball was a fish three day fish event two years ago. What there do they race? World obsessions colliding. I yep. know. They, we I should know. go together. We can we, like, we we'll figure it out. We should. We should plan this she out. She can um, drive, and then they, they'll they drop you off. you'll get me there fast. <laughs> a lot of these racetracks, you know, they're not um, specific. Sometimes they're not specific to one type of racing. Okay. So you can get like IndyCar. You can get World Endurance. You can get Formula One at Coda Circuit of the Americas in Austin, which I saw Formula One race there. I also saw. A MotoGP race there. Which what is, is the difference thing. between those two? What's MotoGP a MotoGP? Is motorbikes. Yeah, oh, MotoGP okay. is motorcycles. And sorry, total newbie here. <laughs> no, no worries. I'm here to educate everyone on motor <laughs> everything motorsports. But so I yeah I saw both of those races there, and because I had been lucky enough to go to Austin for two races, I love Austin. Texas, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. City. Texas, Austin. I love that place. Yeah. And you know, especially around these race weekends when people come and the town just lights up and you know everyone's there for like the same reason people come in from all over and the vibe is just awesome what's the racing aficionado crowd like it does it depend on the race like i, I met like nascar fans are probably pretty different from formula one fans. totally <laughs> yeah yeah i was gonna ask you that because you like, haven't mentioned nascar but you, you, you kind of move between them i guess you go I, to all of them so like like who how are the crowds who are the crowds? And yeah, like, what are the tribes? Who's, who's that your you, favorite that you... crowd? I haven't been to a NASCAR race, and I'm I'm not saying that I'm not interested in NASCAR. I, the the athletes in NASCAR are incredible, and you know they're like every other racing driver. I know sometimes people knock NASCAR, but there was that I guy mean, who this is a aside, but I was really into Formula One for like six months of my mm-hmm. life. <laughs> In the what high, happened? In like Come high on, school. we gotta bring this back. <laughs> but it was because there was a Colombian driver, Montoya, okay. uh, yeah. and then he went to NASCAR, mm-hmm. which seems like the opposite way to go, <laughs> yeah, from I my mean, understanding. The thing, I mean, look at Mario Andretti. He is such a great driver, and he's been able to adapt to so many different series, and I don't think it's kind of going backwards or mm. forwards, or even Jeff Gordon, who... Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing at the Rolex 24. You know, he was a NASCAR driver for a really long time and he retired and then he, you know, um, did a stint in endurance racing. So I think a lot of these guys, you know, they're so talented what they do and, you know, this is what they know. So depending on which series, they can kind of float around. But, um, but yeah, I sidetracked that. Back, <laughs> yes, back, back yes. to the so tribes. Yeah. I haven't been to a NASCAR race. I, I'd love to go to one. Um, but there are definitely different tribes that run around but i mean especially because nascar is only in the u.s you know and then formula one has more MotoGP has more of this global scale so you especially um in formula one and MotoGP, you get more of an international mm. fan base than obviously you do in nascar so and but uh, you know every country has their different race fans because you know the uk has their different types and um, you know, Asia and the U.S. It, it all depends on the area, but I think when you get those types of people together and in one place, you know, everyone really loves motorsports. And are there people like you again, and, and like all, all the other obsessions? Is there a little tribe, a little community of people that you run into again and again at races? Oh, totally. 
yeah there's like you know the car owners that i've met over the years that come to all these races or even these historic events where people own vintage race cars and race them you know there's there's those type of people that will show up to every event and you know you bump elbows with them whether you're on the west coast east coast in another country so and it's definitely people, a small circle. Do they are are they generally car aficionados or just race aficionados or is there a lot of are those even two different things? Like, are you a car aficionado as well? Yeah, I would I would say so. I mean, anything auto and racing. Yeah. So um, I think it's people are probably excited about both. Yeah. It kind of goes hand in hand. And what's the farthest that you've ever gone for a race? farthest it was the morocco one actually yeah i was like i was gonna say morocco um that's kind of a little bit of a different race because when i was in morocco it was for an all women's off-road rally it's called the rally of the gazelles and that's not on a racetrack that's through the sahara (laughs) sounds amazing (laughs) which is and and so so, (laughs) yeah talk about that a little bit rally racing how would you define that so for this specific race this these are mainly um all SUVs uh-huh. you know we've seen there's a bunch of different kind of rally races whether it be like the Dakar races mm-hmm. where they're kind of um smaller vehicles but on this specific race it was SUV oriented we were going over sand dunes um are they stock or are they modified How, what, what are the regulations there? so for this race it's more of um if you want to be a part of the race you can be a part of it so any one of you only if you're a woman though you can be a part of it and these cars which i found out when i was there were mainly rental cars <laughs> really did yes. they get the insurance I mean, yeah. what, what insurance no. did they get yeah. let and me sign up so, for every piece of insurance exactly yeah. so because i mean i grew up in kind of like the, the wooded area of new jersey so i had a lot of friends that went off-roading so i was like where are these cars coming from are these women all shipping their cars from different countries and apparently because off-roading is and rally racing is such a huge part of the Moroccan culture they have places that rent a lot of these SUVs kind of to not like go stock. on the dunes yeah and yeah. for the dunes and you know with these special tires that are for dune driving so they're rental cars but with a twist now do they call them so I went off-roading in um, Canyonlands mm-hmm. last summer, right? And the guys told us that, that we rode around with, they told us, like, this is not a truck. This is a vehicle. You call it a vehicle. Did they call them vehicles? <laughs> <laughs> he had a whole thing, a whole speech about what the difference is between a truck and a vehicle the, and the thing that well, he was driving, which all tricked out and had all kinds okay. of, like, crazy tires on it. Yeah. And all the engine had been souped up so they mm-hmm. could drive up and down these crazy mm-hmm. rock faces. Is there that kind of lingo? What, what what does the subculture use for different things? I mean, with that race, there's a lot of international people. So I think the lingo kind of changes. So I can't say that they specifically refer to them as just vehicles. Because I did hear people throw around trucks, SUVs, mm-hmm. you know. If you, have a, yeah. <laughs> if you have a Jeep, you call it a Jeep. I mean, so um, there weren't two. We didn't stick to vehicle yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah. No militancy about the language. No. Yeah. yeah, there no, there wasn't there. But I could totally see where people get very specific about those type of things. And have you been to Monte Carlo? I haven't yet. That's a bucket list. What about in Indianapolis? No, I haven't been to India yet. So those are I mean, honestly, I could 
the list goes on and on about places like the Nurburgring. I've never been to like Yas Marina in Dubai. I mean, Macau has a famous one. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like Singapore, they race, that's a night race. They race under the oh, lights. Cool. So, which is really cool. Um, there are so many. What's the next one you're going to? Race season, it's kind of like the fall time is when race season kind of ends and then it'll start over uh, okay. in the spring. But um, So you're in a lull right so now. I'm in a lull right now. Maybe you can go to Le Mans this time and they'll actually be having a race. Actually, yes. I did go to Le Mans one time for like an off-season visit. And that that's also like a, a bucket list to see the Le Mans but 24 there are no cars. race. Yeah, they, they're, they're, I just Tell them like, about the detour you took. <laughs> We, I mean, I visited Le Mans like off season, and there there were just some guys going around on motorcycles. But I got a nice tour of the museum and stuff. And you, I, you just kind of have to go to Le Mans and like kiss the ground there. It's yeah. just yeah. one of those types of things. But yeah, I would love to go back for the twenty four hour race. That's definitely a bucket list. So I have a question for all of you guys. How has traveling for your obsessions in these really niche ways? How has that changed the way you travel generally? I mean, for me. Anytime my boyfriend wants to travel somewhere, I have to put the kibosh on his plans and be like, well, we need to take a motorsports-centric vacation instead. <laughs> really? So you which, reroute everything through the obsession? I re- uh, yeah. And which, luckily, I'm, I'm very blessed because he's very much on the same page as me. So, so yes, he's, dear. He's, hap- he's happy to do car stuff with me all the time. And like weekends throughout the summer, I'm like, we have to go up to Lime Rock or... NJ Motorsports Park to see a race in the pouring rain, which we did. So we, um, we, I definitely changed the plans, our vacation plans based on that. I think for me, touring taught me that you can get to know a place somewhat and like have a very rewarding experience in a place without necessarily like checking off the sites. Because a lot of the times when I'm touring, like I don't have the time to check off the sites. I don't know, like one of the best days on, on, that I had on, most recent Europe tour was again in Amsterdam, but I didn't like, I didn't go to the, any of the museums or like take a canal boat or whatever. Like I literally just like walked out of the venue and walked around for like three hours aimlessly, like stopped and had a beer and maybe sat in a park for a little bit. And I was like, Oh, I get this city. And like, that was okay. And so I think it's informed my travel elsewhere in that, like, I'm not the night before being like, okay, what, what do we have to do tomorrow? We have to check this off. You have to check this off. You have to check this off. Sometimes it's just like, let's just go to this one neighborhood I heard about and like walk around and see what happens and then we'll take it from there. Um, because yeah, I don't know. I just found Barcelona too, which was first time I ever went was on tour to Barcelona. And we've had this argument on the podcast before, but like I got to the Sagrada Familia, which is like beautiful from the outside, obviously. But then they told us it'd be like a four hour wait. And I literally had like five hours in Barcelona. So we were just like, well, sorry, next time let's keep going. And then we had like an amazing day in Barcelona. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of, it's taught me that like those little moments teach me that like it's not necessarily just about checking a list, that you can really have rewarding experiences in short amounts of time by just kind of being lost. Meg, how has the travel that you've done following music bands, how has that changed the way you travel generally? I think it's twofold for me. Like one, say I really want to go to New Orleans, instead of going this month, I'm going to wait till April and I'll go for Jazz Fest. So it's like, okay, let's plan. Like I can see the city, but also getting great music. But then it's like, okay, Dead & Co. is coming to New York City and they're going to play MSG again. Well, I really dislike MSG. Sorry, don't like the venue. But 
they're playing in North Carolina over Thanksgiving. I need to get down to North Carolina. It's a better venue for me. Like, and it's a ticket that's half the price. So like planning the travel around the music. Like, oh, I want to go to this new city. I won't see it here in a venue I've been to a hundred times. I'll wait and see it there, especially for certain tickets. Like Phil Lesh, Dead and Co. The tickets are just so much now that you have to figure out like how many times can I see them a year and adulting's hard like that. <laughs> same like, girl I same. sold a ticket last night I haven't sold a ticket to a last show in forever and I gave out candy to kids instead I'm still heartbroken obviously wow Francisco how has it changed your travel generally well with with the marathon running and it's it's kind of linear and it's kind of a little bit fixed because when you sign up for these races it's usually about 10 months ahead of time and at that point you know you you pay for the race, you're committed to it way before you even like figure out your airfare or like your length of stay and your oh, hotel and things yeah. like that. So, you know, signing up for that race and then putting it in your in your mind and then plotting it out like, okay, well, I'll be in Chicago here and then I got to take time off for this and then I'll be in Boston there and then I'll be in LA. So usually, usually we'll just sign up and you kind of have to just work your time. Like I don't take off take any time off from work unless it's specifically I have to travel for racing. So it's mm -hmm. very few and far between where I'm going to take time off of work just to go somewhere, unless it's like a friend's wedding. But there have been times I went out to oh, Columbus, Ohio for a friend's wedding a couple of years ago. First thing I did when we landed was I dropped my bag off the hotel and I went out for a run because I'd never been to Columbus. It's, it's not that, it's not that big. Yeah. And, you know, same thing what you were saying, Sebastian, that, yeah the best thing you could do is just walk around mm -hmm. and like plot the whole city in your mind. And I saw Columbus in about an hour just running around the city perimeter and seeing everything. And uh, the last time I was in San Francisco, which was in February, did the same thing, just ran around. How were like, those hills? <laughs> San Francisco is hilly. Yeah. You gonna run that and marathon? I haven't. It's on the list. I actually, Ooh, after brutal. Chicago. Did you do the beta breakers? No, but everyone tells me that's a really good one to it's do. It's a fun one. So after Chicago, I flew to San Francisco immediately after the marathon because yeah. there was a, a half marathon going on the weekend after. Unfortunately, because of what's been happening with the wildfires out there, yeah, air quality was really bad. Yeah. Um, the organization who put it on didn't want to take any, way, like, any first responders away to work this event, and they ended up canceling the race. So I was out there. I I flew out there Tuesday night, landed on Wednesday morning, got an email Wednesday morning saying the race was canceled. Oh, that's too yeah. bad. And I was there until next Tuesday. Yeah. So basically, I just filled my time with running to different points in San Francisco, seeing the sights, and just always finishing at somewhere to eat. So I finished that in and out about three times. That sounds that. fantastic. <laughs> it's yeah. a great run. Was, you are so smart. Yeah, <laughs> no. I, I did a great run where I ran all the way up Twin Peaks. Um if you don't know, it's just like the highest point in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. You can see the whole city, the whole bay. Amazing. It's, amazing. it's an amazing view. I sent her pictures mm -hmm. because uh, there's a little bit of a car enthusiast story with yeah, the area. Yeah, there's a good hairpin. There's like right right two there. good hairpins. That's a good part of the country to do a little driving. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a ton of little hairpin turns all up and down. So I ran up Twin Peaks, which was pretty exhausting because it's kind of steep. But, you know, once you get up top, you enjoy the view. And then I just 
turned around, went right back down, went right towards Fisherman's Wharf, backed in and out. Yeah. <laughs> and there's an in and out of Fisherman's Wharf. I've yeah. been to that it's one. The I've best been thing <laughs> at Fisherman's yeah. Wharf. For crying I had out. to get the T-shirt because uh, yeah. I had I had the one by the airport, and I was like, I got to get this one. I was gonna say it's Petra- I think Petraro Hill is not terribly far from from Twin Peaks, and there's some really good breakfast joints out there. Yeah, Petraro Hills is like maybe a mile east of Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A mile for you is nothing, though. I was going to no, say, that's, yeah. I was like, that's, yeah, that's easy. That's like a walk around the corner for us. <laughs> that's, that's the best thing about it. You know, once you, if you're into marathon running and distance running in general, getting around the city seems very easy. You know, if you want to take like a 10-mile run, that's going to cover a lot of ground. And, yeah. you know, you can hit a lot of things. And it's the quickest way, actually, because if you know San Francisco's, you know, transportation-wise, like their oh my God. public transportation is not <laughs> the best. Up, uh, it's not as accessible. It, it is, in fact, the worst. <laughs> and I didn't want to say, but yeah, it's really bad. Um, if you try to take a car or an Uber, it's like unruly expensive. So, and there's just parts of the city that don't just get t- don't get touched at all with any transportation services. Yeah. So um, just run. You just run. <laughs> well, but that's true. But, yeah. but the thing is, if you are a distance runner, it's seven by seven miles, man. It's just not that big a place. No, you know? it's, and it's so if you're accustomed big, yeah. to running those distances, you can go from coast to coast yeah. or, you know, bay to breakers. Uh, yeah. And it's manageable. Same as like Manhattan. Like so yeah. 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 Very similar. I've, I've run the perimeter of Manhattan in a race. It's if you run the whole perimeter of Manhattan, it's about 26 miles. Is it really? Oh. Yeah. As as much as the end of the perimeter you can, um, not going into like the other side of where Van Cortlandt Park is, but just like mm-hmm. the main island of Manhattan. Yeah, you can do it in 26 miles. Wow. Breeze. As a matter of, yeah, right. <laughs> do that <Easy>. this weekend. <laughs> um, yeah. As a practical matter, so you guys have pretty much committed in big ways to this kind of travel. And you just raised a really good point, Francisco, which is, you know, you commit to an event, you commit to a concert, you commit to a race, and now you got a bunch of practical things that you have to handle, like where am I going to stay? And yeah, you've got people you can tap into, but how do you deal with like getting your airfare? How do you deal with the budgeting part of that? So now you know you have to be at this place at this particular time. How do you back that out in a practical way? Do you sign up for particular airfare notifications? Like what do you do in order to make sure that you maximize your budget? I think it's using all the tips and tricks we post on our site all the time. Just there like, you go. So yeah. read com. <laughs> read the website. <laughs> I was doing that long before I worked here. But yeah, I mean, doing, going through all the different sites, checking which airline flies where, like what time of day is best. I mean, I've definitely flown in for a show three hours before it started, just praying, like, don't let this get yeah, canceled right. or delayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, it's a cheap. And then it's also, you only get so many days off of work for a year. And yeah. I'm a freelancer. I get paid by the day. So like, <laughs> it's... I'll fly out on a midnight flight, get some sleep, and then go to a show the next day. Um, but yeah, I mean, more importantly for me is hotels. For these huge events, a lot of them, like if you're up in Watkins Glen, well, that was camping, but some of these other ones like SPAC, um, Saratoga Performing Arts Center, there's very limited hotels up there, and you're bringing in 20, 30,000 people yeah. to this little town, all these hippies that don't have a lot of money. So it's like, all right, well, some of them have a lot of money. Um, you want to hang out with them. <laughs> That's the key. As soon as you hear a rumor, <laughs> like, I people. book hotels on rumors all the time. And then, like, if the show never gets announced, I cancel my room. But, like, mm. at least I have a room held. And I've done that numerous times. Like, yeah, I'm booking booking in person at the counter. I'll be like, why are so many people calling and booking for this weekend? I was like, oh, there's a rumor out. And, I mean, these people that are running these motels think we're nuts. But yeah. it's I've gotten a lot they of good hotels. They love the business. And, within walking distance to arena is so important because I want to have my fun 
and I need to get safely home. So, Francisco, what are your secrets? Like you, you just mentioned this. Um, well, I usually try to be flexible with my traveling by flying in the middle of the week. Most races will be on a Saturday or Sunday, and with what I said before, like I like to get there a couple of days early just to acclimate. Like if you have that flexibility, like flying in on a Wednesday, or Thursday, Tuesday. Well, Tuesday's a little on the early side, but Wednesday or Thursday getting in there and then I usually don't leave until you know the Monday after or Tuesday after airfare is a lot cheaper and as far as accommodations for me as a runner you just really want someplace you can relax like to rest your head and most of the time you're not going to be inside you're either going to be out you know doing a run during the day catching up with with people and you really just want someplace that you can just put your head down most of the time so like i usually just go with like an airbnb and with these large the larger the marathon is most of the time it's in a larger city there's plenty of like accommodation so it's not usually an issue but people who come outside from international or maybe not so well versed with traveling the marathons they'll just go right for the hotels and everything and like hotels know it's marathon season they'll just do they have packages for you and things like that they always introduce some kind of package like there's always a partner hotel um but even you know you look at it it's still very expensive Mm. so if you once you start getting the lay of the land on traveling to these races you'll slowly see like you know maybe hotels not the best option or for example, the Boston Marathon, you have to book your hotel like a year in advance. Uh, Pretty much yeah. once the marathon ends, yeah. they open up the block like a week after for next year. It's like South by Southwest. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think one of the things that you guys have pointed out that strikes me as um, as really interesting about this is this notion that these become ways of seeing places that are very different from if you go and say like, hey, I'm taking a trip to Paris but you go there as a runner, but it's also accessible to people who are not traveling for a marathon or for a concert where you can go to a place and hear music, go out and hear music. You can go to a place. I I remember being in Paris a few years ago and I got up every morning from the hotel. The hotel we were staying at was near the Luxembourg Gardens. And one of the things that I did was go run around the Luxembourg Gardens because I was running at the time. It's no marathon, but I was surrounded by mostly Parisians and it was like a way you would never, it, it was parts of, it took me to parts of the Luxembourg Gardens that you would never go to if you're like, hey, I'm going to go visit the Luxembourg Gardens. No. So I feel like all of these have given you guys ways of seeing these places that are kind of off center, you know, and maybe more revealing or revealing in different ways than the conventional ways to go visit those things. What's the most interesting or memorable takeaway that you have from one of these trips that you've taken of a place? I mean, I think something that I didn't even mention was what touring does to you is it also takes you to places that you would like never go on your vacation. Like I wouldn't necessarily be like, Oh, I've got a long weekend. Let me book a flight to Grand Rapids, Michigan, <laughs> which I've gone to. You, play you went to and, Grand Rapids. Yeah. And it was actually, and this was like a more like, you know, punk DIY tour, the whole van thing. Um, and it was one of the like most fun shows I've ever played. It was just like this little house on a college campus in Grand Rapids, and like with this super supportive artistic community. We ended up like after the show, just kind of like partying with these people until like three in the morning and crashing in, like they're in this little room that literally fit the four of us in the band 
you know, head to toe across and didn't fit anything else. But it was just like so much fun. It was so random. It was a kind of experience that I wouldn't have traveling otherwise because like I wouldn't just knock on the door of a random party and be like, hey, what's up? Can I join? Because it's just like not who I am. But when, you know, we booked a show and booked at this place, we didn't know anybody. Um, and so it's like, yeah, like I've seen a lot of really amazing places that I knew were going to be amazing, like Barcelona or, you know, um, Paris or London, like places I've toured. But then it's like just like, you know, when you're you're routing for your tour suddenly takes you through Grand Rapids, Michigan, and you have like a really memorable night. You actually have a better show there and more fun than you did the night before in Chicago or mm. something. It's It just puts things into perspective that like you can find joy in travel anywhere, I guess. Meg, what yeah. surprised you or been most memorable about? I think it's the road trips, the ones where we just go out and drive somewhere and you stop and like all, so you're on like Yelp or whatever, looking at like, what's at this next rest stop? Like, where can I get off at this exit? And exploring all those new places that I would have never gone before. You know, we we did the big cities. We went to San Francisco. I ended up doing karaoke in like, I think it was like Koreatown or something mm. at like four in the morning. Mm. It was insane. But like, you have these experiences you wouldn't have otherwise. Like, you get invited to some really local hole in the wall venue and see a new artist you wouldn't have otherwise known about. So it's the unexpected experiences that I've had that are the most memorable for me. Francisco, what sticks with you? I think it's just the amount of people that you'll meet and just have that commonality with. Because, you know, to, I mean, to me and uh, a bunch of other people, running a marathon and completing a marathon is a, a great feat and, like, everyone should be proud of it. So once you share that one one aspect with, like, another person, it almost makes you feel a lot closer to them, especially if you've ran the same race. So even in that aspect with seeing them after the race at a party it's just like you know you're you're together you're celebrating and it like the feelings you get from that the camaraderie is kind of like the best part about it like when it's all over like when the race is done and you can just relax and like enjoy that achievement with complete strangers and just feel like you know like family almost that's like the best part about it mara what's the most memorable unexpected thing you've pulled from your travels for for racing I think I I mean I definitely have to agree with my brother the community around you know car racing and motorsports in general it's like you meet so many different people and from other countries and you know there's such a language barrier but when you come to these specific events where everyone's there for like the same reason and this is their passion it's like you can all just kind of communicate and talk about you know all these like old racing drivers that you love that come from all these different countries and it's like it's kind of the connection that we all have together have you ever learned about a race that you then went to visit from somebody at a race that you were at that you traveled to um well i mean i kind of know about <laughs> all the races <laughs> all the races i already know about I all know. of them it's like <laughs> Um, She's the one do telling everybody else. Do you know about the tuk-tuk race in India? <laughs> Actually, I have read about that, yes. I want to go. She so, knows. I know, I know. <laughs> so, I mean, there's definitely people who have been to all of these different races that I've never been to, and they're like, oh, you have to go to this city because it's amazing during race weekend and, you know, all that stuff. And then just meeting different people is like... you you know, you have to come to Brazil because this is where Ayrton Senna is from and this is where he raced. And, you know, meeting people from different countries and like telling you about what races they went to growing up and, you know, everywhere that they've traveled to, it, it makes you want to go to all these places and cross them off your list. Yeah, it inspires you for, your, exactly. for the rest of your list. 
Great. Well, listen, thanks to all of you guys for coming and talking about your obsessions. Wait, what's your obsession, Brad? My obsession? <laughs> I don't know that I have, and I don't, I, I don't think I travel for an obsession. I'm not Food? sure I fit the category. Well, yes. Yes, actually. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we put cities um, on our list, and we do travel specifically because we want to go eat, for the food scene. Things. We want to eat things. There yeah, you go. For sure. No question. There is a kind of global foodie community for sure, but I don't think it sets up the same kind of, there's kind of an eventness to the things mm, that all of totally. you guys are talking about that brings people to a place at a specific point in time for a particular thing. And food, travel, I don't think does quite that same right. thing. But yeah, we definitely organize our travel lives around food more than any other thing. Um, so there's a little bit of that there. Um, but anyway, thanks for coming and sharing your obsessions. I'm sure there are many, many listeners out there who have their own obsessions. We'd love to hear about those. Um, tweet at us and let us know what is your travel obsession? How has it changed your travel? How have you organized travel around it? What kind of people have you met? Uh, what kind of places have you learned about uh, through your obsession? And do subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com. We are also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and at CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. And speaking of, of obsessions, this isn't really an obsession, but it certainly is a powerful community. Um, we have a Women Who Travel Facebook group that we started up several months ago. It's very, very active. Lots and lots of tips and suggestions and um, really great ideas coming out of that. Um, and so I would recommend that all of you, if you are women, check that out. I'm not sure if we're letting in. Do you know, Seb, if, are we letting in the, the boys? I'm not I'm not in it. You're not allowed. <laughs> I haven't seen any men allowed. posting, but it's a pretty fantastic um, group. And speaking of obsession, because we're all obsessed with this podcast, this is our 100th episode Oh, I keep Travelog. forgetting. I forgot. You told me at the beginning. Yeah. I didn't say anything Century. About it. I really hope it is, and I'm pretty sure it is, but I think it is our 100th episode of Travelog. So we're 99% sure this is our 100th I don't know why podcast. it's being said that, because like, who's going to go and check and count? But I'm, it, it is our 100th oh, episode of Travelog. It is the 100th episode of Travelog. That means we have come up with 100 different things to talk about. But there are approximately 700,000 things to talk about. Right, so we're we'll just getting started. started. So we're just getting started. Um, thanks to all of you for listening through 100 episodes. If you haven't listened to all 100, <laughs> go back get, and start with on one. It. We were green and newbie back in, uh, back in, in episode one. Uh, you can hear that. Um, <laughs> And please do tweet at us. Actually, this is a great one. Let us know, those of you who have made it this far, let us know what your favorite episode of The 100 was. Um, that would be really interesting. And let us know, as always, what episode we haven't done yet that you really want to hear. Um, actually, this episode came out of some some feedback that we got on Twitter from Eric Scalavino, who was interested in travel for uh, specific purposes and obsessions and events and things like that. And that's kind of what led us to this. Um, so do let us know what you'd like to hear about um, and review us on iTunes. Give us five stars. Come on, people. Be generous. Uh, we're, we're a charming bunch. Um, Seb, where can the folk reach you on the social media or elsewhere? Uh, they can find me at Seb Modak, S-E-B-M-O-D-A-K, on all the things, most of them at least. Meg? You can find me on Instagram at Megazine with two Gs. That's a good one. That's another good one. Meg. Soon we're going to have the Instagram handle off, and you might have to be part of that now. I would be happy to. Francisco? I am, I am Francisco B, and I actually do something with running. It's called Project No Days Off. You can find them both on Instagram. It's a... 
365-day uh, running challenge. Wow. Wow. What if it's raining? Still go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you is, have a podcast too, right? What's your podcast? Uh, it's in the it's in the making, but it's called Pizza and Podcasts. And if you guys ever want to be on it, let me know. Two great things. Oh, Two but great what subjects. about your? I love both those things. Yeah. Your pizza Instagram account. I also have a third Instagram account. It's called <laughs> Dollar Pizza Slice NYC. I've Are gone around and reviewed. You're reviewing them? Oh wow! I've for the last three years, I've That's gone around amazing. and uh, reviewed all Dollar Pizza Slice locations in the five boroughs. Right now. How many have you been to? <laughs> Wait, what's the best? So the best right now. Um, high ranking is Vinnie Vincenz on 14th Street and 1st Avenue. Okay. All right. All right. And it's an ongoing battle because I can get into this for hours, but basically because places open and close constantly, it's like a fluctuating economy on the dollar pizza slice scale. Dude, we might have to have a podcast on pizza <laughs> in New York. Yes. We should. Right? Like we could have such arguments Just about pizza in New York. Totally. Yes. totally. Yes, we will we eat pizza. You're, co- you're going to come on and talk about dollar pizza and the fights over dollar pizza. I, I think this is a thing that's got to happen. We should absolutely do Episode this. Episode 101. <laughs> <laughs> Got to talk to Mayor. Yeah. We can't schedule anymore without talking to Mayor. <laughs> That's been made abundantly clear. But I have to say, this is the most, re- if you listened all the way to the end of the podcast, this has been the most rewarding <laughs> end of the podcast we ever had. Mara, how can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mara Philly, M-A-R-A-F-I-L-I. All right. And you do post a lot of your race uh, stuff there, right? Yes. Because Absolutely. Seen- There's tons of car stuff on my Instagram. Yeah. So Great. And I'm at Bradrick. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.